Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Who's on Worst podcast. Uh, this is your home on the Rays, Rays, I want to say Rays Radio Network because I've been watching too many actual baseball games. I got really excited for a second on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. There we go. It's almost like we've never done this before every single time we record. Uh, and I love that you guys stick with us for it. We keep that rookie energy, that rookie of the year energy Absolutely. every time. Just got to keep it fresh and wander Franco in here. Absolutely. We are your home for all things bad baseball movie on the podcast network of your choice. I am your host, Ashley McLennan. With me is my co-host, Darby Robinson. And with us, of course, as always, our wonderful producer, Brett Rutherford. Uh, we have a thing we like to do on this podcast, if you haven't noticed. Uh, we love to try to ruin your childhood favorites. We have made a bit of an effort to watch a lot of kids' baseball movies with the assumption that they will all be Ed. And <laughs> so far, I mean, we've watched bad kids' movies. Air Bud, Seventh Inning Fetch. I thought of it the entire time. Stephen, um, not Stephen Colbert, John, John, oh my God. What's his name? Last week tonight, John Oliver did a segment, a special segment this past week on Air Bud and how it defied rules and how rules don't matter in the universe of Airbud, And that was not a stand-in commentary for anything. He was just real mad about Airbud, And uh, I was very pleased to kind of fit within that universe. He did not mention our podcast, of course, because why would he? But uh, it did feel very nice to, you know, be topical. So he hated Airbud, and I didn't even realize the depth of the Airbud cinematic universe, but it goes deep so much deeper than seventh inning fetch. But anyway, the point of my little diatribe here, because I love to talk apparently, is that we love to ruin kids' movies or kids' movies love to be terrible. I can't decide which is more true. Um, but we thought we would continue that process this week by watching Little Big League. And friends, I have terrible news for you. Terrible, terrible news. Because you tune in to us because you want us to badmouth baseball movies and you want us to tear them apart and offer you opinions on how to make them better. And I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert. This movie was awesome. It was so good. I loved it. Genuine, genuine love. So I will try to be funny and be mean about it, but I don't know if I can. Uh, I might just talk about how much it genuinely made me laugh. But before I do that, not to confuse Little Big League with Rookie of the Year, Darby is going to give us a breakdown of what this movie is actually about. Yeah, I think I, this movie slaps. This movie, yeah. absolutely. It, it's a it's a fun, it's a fun, I still to this day prefer Rookie of the Year. Um, and after rewatching it now and with adult eyes, I still think I like that one a little bit more. But these are both, you know, Rookie of the Year came out in 1993. This one comes out in 1994. Just, hmm. They don't, they don't make them like they used to with these kids' movies. Like, solid, 
whole family fun here. Um, so the synopsis as according to Rotten Tomatoes for the 1994 classic Little Big League. When his grandfather, played by Jason Robards, dies, 12-year-old Billy, played by Luke Edwards, suddenly becomes the heir to the Minnesota Twins baseball team. It's a dream come true for the baseball fan who believes he can get the Twins out of their current slump by managing them personally. Of course, managing a pro baseball team is a lot of work, and some of the players aren't crazy about taking orders from a preteen, but Billy's honest approach and love of the game could be just what the Twins need. Yes, well done, Rotten Tomatoes. Sometimes you're pretty, pretty solid. Pace, yeah. but that was a pretty good summation. Couple of spoilers in there, but whatever. <laughs> yes, yeah, spoiler alert, Jason Robards dies, um, which I feel like is, is is pretty broadcast within the first couple minutes of the movie. There's no film without either of those two things. Yeah, he, yeah. he dies, and it would be very. It would be a much more. It would still be kind of an interesting movie if uh, it stayed with him. Uh, as Billy, just an owner of the team. Yeah. Uh, the Boy King type of thing. Literal Teen Titan. There's a different movie in here where the 12 year old Billy takes over the team. And then in that same year, because 1994 had some pretty good labor strike, yeah. you have him conspiring with other owners to lock <laughs> out players. And he is just coming in and being like, hey, I have an idea. Screw these players. Yeah. They're all a bunch of greedy bastards. One of them's trying to screw my mom. I'm going to make sure that they never get their pay or pay. <laughs> and then the minor leaguers, no money for them. Let them live in a roach motel. And everyone else is like, geez, this little kid is hardcore. And But he's like, I have these strong opinions and I'll never let it down. Very fun film. Uh, Hollywood, we're ready to receive your phone calls. But <laughs> for a 90s film, I think a little bit more fun and wholesome might be him actually, you know, coaching the team and, and being the manager, which also good, also good, I guess. I do think it's probably worth noting that there are a lot of similar beats between this and Rookie of the Year. Like, they're not obviously a, a shot for shot, you know, remake of each other, um, but you do have a lot of kind of the same touchstones. So I think let's like just kind of cross those off at the beginning. You have Single Mom, um who is obviously she's not as i big think a big baseball fan as the mom in rookie of the year was i think that that obviously the mom in rookie of the year being a big baseball fan obviously was a big spoiler like it's a big twist at the end mm-hmm. um whereas i think this mom is just kind of like oh well my husband's dad owns the twins so by you know peripheral i like the twins just fine because that's the catch right is that grandpa isn't her father grandpa was her father-in-law and that his son died and obviously he's taking care of her and Billy and so yeah you get that single mom factor you get mom having a bit of a romance with a player on the team and I think that was more kind of winked at in rookie of the year where it was a lot more explicit in um, little big league where you see them going on dates and he kind of you know is hanging out on the couch and they're you know very obviously dating the big crux of the the drama for Billy is his distancing from his friends and being part of what's going on in his little, you know, preteen boyfriend group. A water-based activity that the three of them take place, this time fishing. There's just little bits like that where there's like little notes where you can kind of check them off as you go. But very different stories, I think, ultimately. I think they both kind of learn the same lesson, although obviously... 
in rookie of the year, the lesson was kind of learned for him in that his arm refixed itself and he just simply could not continue to pitch. Whereas, and we'll get to plot points, Billy at the end of this is still the owner of the Minnesota Twins. He even is already like saying, I can come back whenever I want. Yeah. This is my damn team. Keep keep that hot seat ready for that, that manager. Don't, After don't I'm done with junior do. high, I'm coming right back to the managing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I mean, if you liked, I think that's easy to say. Like, if you liked Rookie of the Year, I think there's a no-brainer you're going to like this movie because tonally they're very very similar movies you don't have quite the level of zaniness i think here that rookie of the year had obviously you had the daniel stern character that was just like ridiculous um but it was a daniel stern joint so he gets to do whatever he wants um but same kind of actually similar thing didn't isn't this wasn't rookie of the year daniel stern's only or did yes direct yeah these weird in the 90s, you had these weird, like, one-and-done baseball movies, d- director, by, you know, directors that basically did a one-and-done movie that are, like, really some of the best we've seen in this series of films we've watched, and they're, like, very competent, like, really solid. Like, we have seen some absolute trash for this yeah. for this show, and it's been great. It's been very fun to watch <laughs> the really train wrecks. But like those people have like lots of IMDb credits, right? They're they're producing all sorts of stuff. They're just churning out absolute garbage. But like these, it's like, wow, even, you know, these are both films that make our list because they are low on critical reviews. But, you know, these films really do hit what they want to do. Like they're films set out to hit something. They're trying to do something. And they all do, they all accomplish that. I think this is a film that you can watch with the whole family and kids will find it really funny. I think parents will not find it boring. And I think overall you will just be like, hey, that was a really fun, entertaining time. You know, that this was solid. And the fact that you can actually like hit those beats, really competently build that story, land the plane and then just be like, no, I'm good. Like I would give those people more money to do another film, at least another kid's film, because you're like, oh, you've proved it. We looked at it, and the the writers of this movie have written basically nothing else of note. I think Mickey Blue Eyes was a screenplay credit for one of them, and the others were all just kind of direct-to-video kids content that you will have never heard of in your life. The guy who directed it is also a producer and has produced probably some of your favorite movies. Yeah, that's actually you mentioned this in our Slack, like in the preview, like none of the people did anything else, which is like it is really weird because I was looking at it and the director of this, Andrew Scheinman, this is the only credit he has as a director, like no short films, not you know, nothing else. But yeah, his producer credits, he is a, a founding member of Castle Rock Entertainment with Rob Reiner. And so they have produced Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men, Misery, Ghosts of Mississippi, like huge films, like big time stuff. But this film, and and obviously a little big league, but uh, yeah, I kind of surprised. Maybe he just was like fine with passion project just a single off yeah and it's like you said maybe he was he was doing the billy thing where he tried it once and that was good and then he's just going to go back to his producer's office what shocked me more was that this was their only like notable writing credit between the two one was a story credit and screenplay and shineman had a screenplay credit so two two gentlemen wrote this and i don't 
generally laugh out loud sitting at home watching movies by myself. And I several times had to pause this movie while I was watching it by myself to make notes about some of the lines that were dropped in this movie. Because not only is it a incredibly competent baseball narrative, but it's genuinely very funny. Like I've made, I'm going to have to pull it out. I've got my notes on some of the best lines. Half of my notes for this movie are just quotes. Uh, one of the kids saying, if you're rich, you don't have to be smart. That's the beauty of this country because he's telling him he's a billionaire and he owns the twins. He doesn't need to go to school anymore. The other one, they're talking about Billy being the manager of the team and his buddy Chuck says, it's the American league. They've got the <laughs> DH. How hard could it be? Yes. Uh, and I, absolutely died um one quote i had written down as well i it was so good when the team the guys on the team are talking about having a kid coach their manage their team one of them says man i played winter ball down in venezuela and those kids were half his age and they could speak spanish and lou looks at him and he's like they speak spanish in venezuela and the guy's like i know that's what i mean just (laughs) and then my absolute was towards the end of the movie top notch uh chef's kiss was one of the black players on the team going the dodgers played in brooklyn to which i thought was just (laughs) god bless like it was i just genuinely what a great written like there's running gags in it with like somebody telling a riddle throughout the thing and nobody can get the riddle and there's like such like great little stupid baseball things tucked into this like one of the guys is obviously a big chewing tobacco fan he's got chaw and he wraps the chewing tobacco in chewing gum which is the most repellent thing i have ever witnessed on a on a television screen um and is actually every time the red sox play yeah, because like that's a, a now they can't do it with mm-hmm. chewing tobacco, obviously. So a lot of guys will do gum and peanuts or gum and sunflower seeds is a very real thing on baseball diamonds. Yeah, just watch um, Raphael Devers. I don't know what it is in his mouth. It is not something that it looks like a human should have in their mouth. It's usually it is usually gum and sunflower seeds. It's disgusting. Disgusting. Baseball players are gross. Yeah. Just straight up. They're gross. They're the grossest athletes, I think, by far. Um yeah, this, this film has, I will say the strength of this film is on the baseball side. Fantastic. Top to bottom. And I think it really captures, this is like a deep cast with like just fun bit roles, like really fun little character pieces. That don't rely on stereotypes. No. Yeah, that's per- That's what's great about it. Yeah, like we saw, we just kind of talked about that in Bad News Bears, right? Where it's just like checking a weird box. And Mr. 3000, not Mr. 3000, um, what was it? Yeah, Mr. Uh, 3000. Mr. 3000 was really yeah. bad for that, yeah. There, there's a lot of, you know, it's a very easy way to, to slide into, um, but this one shows like you can really just like nail it because you have so many different characters and some are, you know, pretty antagonistic of Billy and, you know, being coached by the, the little kid. Some are weird, quirky, like the, you know, like relievers, like, uh, you know, Jonathan Silverman kind of the peak of Jonathan Silverman, like, you know, of his uh, fame. Weekend at Bernie's superstar, Jonathan Silverman. But like, you know, you have your quirky reliever and you have 
like the position play they're all just like just feel like real characters yeah with real like points of view and personalities and like summer it's it's probably one of the best in terms of like really capturing just like the diversity of fun different characters in a clubhouse like this this almost kind of reminded me a bit of like a major league where you know you have the fun part of the film is just there's just all of these different weird characters that are just getting to have to live together and work together basically and and get along to succeed and so that I that was by far my biggest strength of this film yeah I think because we talked a little bit about the the drama side of it because obviously you can't have a film without some kind of conflict um I mean you could and it would this movie in this case of this movie it probably would have been fine if the only conflict was some of the players don't like him um like our good buddy Luke Danes uh Gilmore Girls fans uh Scott I uh, can't remember his last name because he will always be Luke Danes Scott Patterson Scott, Scott Patterson, Patterson. Thank my, you. My, my wife is a big Gilmore Girls fan yeah. and was very excited that he was in the film because she also mentioned that he played minor league baseball did she have the exact same reaction I did when he came on screen? Because I had no idea he was in this. And then he came on screen. I'm like, Luke Danes! And my cats were like, oh, God. Um, I got really excited. So, And he was fantastic. He was really good in this. And he was an antagonist. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was excellent in this. But he was definitely, like, not a villain. There's no real villains, which is interesting in this movie. It's more like real life. Ken Griffey Jr., maybe? Ken Griffey yeah. I'd say the biggest antagonists of the movie and not even I think they're just like antagonistic plot points um are the the character that he plays McGreevy uh Mike mm-hmm. McGreevy I think um yep, Mike McGreevy and he is a reliever I want to say starting pitcher according to Wiki- Wikipedia Wikipedia actually for this movie is kind of fantastic because it has the entire cast it has their positions oh, and their numbers. Somebody, wow. somebody is a big little big league fan. It was like, because so Mike McGreevy, starting pitcher number nineteen. <laughs> I do not know this offhand. I did not take that good of notes, but McGreevy's big thing is he doesn't want to like help the kid win. He wants to kind of just be like, ah. Oh. Because in the first game where uh, Billy comes in to manage, one of the, the catcher, whose name, I don't know, the Wikipedia lover will probably know, the catcher is given the signal for a hit and run, and he intentionally ignores it and whips the ball. And after the game, Mike is like, yeah, way to go, ignoring that call. That's the way to do it. You know, let's show that kid. Like, I don't know what the point is of being like, hey, we're going to lose a bunch of games and look like we don't know what we're doing. Uh, that'll sure teach the manager Who's also the owner. Who's also the who owner. Can, like, that was the thing. He ruin you. Was it? He won't last a week was his thing. And I'm sitting there going, who is going to fire him? No Father. one is going to fire him. He is responsible for the entire team. The 90s when people thought that uh, that billionaires would just be like shamed out of doing vanity yeah. projects. Yeah, Sorry. He'll, he'll just be like, oh where I'm gonna go uh, back to my playpen because I've lost a couple games this kid is like the most calm and even keeled human being on the planet he's great I I made some notes early because like the film starts you know doing like a little league little league game where everybody ends up on one base and then everybody's like I don't know what the call is and and then even the umpire is asking uh Billy like what is the thing which I thought was a great introduction really quick like, like you said, like earlier, like really solid writing. Like that's a perfect way to introduce 
in not in a smarmy and an annoying way, but like he knows his he knows a lot about baseball. And he's doing it against his own team in a sense too, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's not gonna, he could say, oh no, they're all safe. And the umpire probably would have believed him, but he's got like this integrity to him where he knows what the baseball rules are and he's, you know, confident in delivering them. Um, and that comes up a couple of times. Like when he goes to see the baseball game with his grandfather and they go to the clubhouse afterwards and lose like, yeah, who would have thought that so-and-so would throw that pitch on that count? And then there's a pause and he's like, you knew he would, didn't you? And he's like, eh, you know, gives a little goofy shrug and he's like, ah, you knew. Um, so like even like this fully grown Joe, he is Joe Mauer. Like, let's be real. Like Lou is a stand-in <laughs> for Joe Mauer. Um, he's, he even knows that like the kid knows his stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's really good stuff. And I think what I, I kind of like about the film a lot is that the the lack of a forced antagonism or like forced conflict. I think there's a lot of in sports, there's lots of natural conflict, natural conflict that isn't cheating or dirty play or pure hatred. It's just we want something this other other group is going to they want the same thing and they are going to try to stop us from doing that and so you can have personal battles like personality battles like Mike McGreevy and the you know I think those things all work really well and then you can also have the general conflict of he is a child this is overwhelming his life he's like losing his childhood because he is stuck being an adult when he still wants to be a kid um, I thought that part could have done a little bit better. I thought Rookie of the Year did that way better than this movie. But I think overall that I think this film did a fantastic job of not adding too much forced conflict. Like one of the things immediately off that I was really excited about that I was not expecting was Kevin Dunn, phenomenal character actor, Kevin Dunn, who plays the, the GM of the, of the film or at first I thought he was just the assistant to the owner, but he's the GM, which makes also sense. He is not the, the villain. I was expecting yeah. him to be like kind of mustache twirling. Like I want kind of like a rookie of the year. Like he wants to own the team and he was upset that it was going to this kid. Nope. He's entirely the most helpful and supportive person to Billy. The, the bench coach is entirely support. Like, like they, they might like question, be like, I don't know. Like this is like, they were both like, I don't, should you really be managing the team? Yeah. That's a lot of work, but like, they are not like conspiring to set him up to fail. Right. They're, they're just, they're there to, to support him and be like, I want to succeed. We're all literally trying to work towards this goal. And it makes a lot of sense. Right. You know, they, those guys could literally be fired because he, he is their boss but they are also just normal humans who are not going to be like outwardly dicks for no reason. Yeah. Like they are just trying to do a good job. So I, I love that. I like that the bench coach wasn't just like, okay, you're the boss. You do whatever you want. He's like, no, 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 there's nuance. There's things going on. And the kid's like, test me, like give it, give me some example. And I loved that scene because it wasn't just like, oh, 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 count. Here's like the situation. He's like, Homer away. What inning? Who's warm in the bullpen? Who's up next to bat? Who's, you know, he's asking for the splits. And he, the answers there were just chef's kiss. Like it was so, so well done that I, I have to believe 
the writers of this movie are just gong show baseball fans. I, I think that's what Rookie of the Year and, and Little Big League kind of do well. Like they're very much love letters to baseball. Yeah. And then all you need to do from that point, if you do like the love letter to baseball well, which, which I think these guys did, you just got to hit like some basic movie plot points like ABC. All right. There's the story. And then like it turns into a delightful movie that to me probably has more rewatch potential like for me personally than anything else that we've watched. I love Fever Pitch as well. But yeah. like I could th- like Little Big League I could throw on whenever during baseball season. And I think I just love this. It. I genuinely this is my first time watching it. So I don't have the like childhood frame of reference of having watched this in 1994 when it came out, which is kind of surprising because I was like very much into my first ever kick of baseball in 93-94 so I'm actually quite surprised I never saw this I am fairly certain I will watch this every year when baseball season comes back now from now until the end of time I mean not to give my like you know full opinions of it right now but I loved it and um aggressively how did they pulled off a good baseball movie in a dome in a dome stadium so you don't get like that all you know. That's a lot of part of these baseball movies is they want to make you like feel like you're at a baseball game, in the sights and the With sounds, turf and everything. And you get it in a pretty ugly uh, Metrodome, which yeah. I, I, IMDb says they there was going to be some problems if they tried to film outside, and that originally the Kansas City Royals were going to be the subject of the movie. Uh, but they were like, well, maybe it'll just be easier if we film indoors. And so they picked the metronome in the Twitter. So if this movie had been filmed like, you know, 10 or yeah. 15 years later, could have been about some scrappy Tampa Bay Rays and their new ownership. Um, we really missed the boat on that one. But let's take a quick break and then we can kind of get back into chatting more about what really worked for us with this. Because I think there were quite a few things that this movie did really well. And I'm so sorry that this is not us bashing this movie into the ground. We'll find some points to like nitpick about uh, when we come back, I promise. So before we get a little bit too enamored with this general movie overall, because I think we've been pretty positive about it to this point, I think it is only fair that we kind of pick it apart a little bit because while it is a lot of fun and I will probably watch it a lot in the future, um, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, My biggest complaint about it is that it made me like a billionaire, um, which is not okay. Uh, frankly, billionaires should not exist and uh, eat the rich and all of that good stuff. But uh, it made me really like Jason Robards because he was a delightful old grandpa who clearly loved baseball and all of the players on his team, which is like your dream owner, um, but not one that truly exists in life as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, and then I guess technically Billy becomes a billionaire team owner afterwards. They never really talk about his net worth. Well, in the um, sequel, he'll, he'll be buying Twitter, so. Yeah, yeah. So he'll, he'll stop being a, a beloved figure in sports at that point. But obviously, I, I think it's established that I don't think there are any other kids because at the reading of the will, there's pretty much only his mom and him. And they play a video that's like an augmented, like, a, like an extra portion of the will. And the GM was at the reading of the will, too. And I, that's what I first thought, like Darby said, that oh, this guy's up to no good. Like, what's he doing? That the reading of the will, he was just the general manager. So I've got to assume, and I mean, obviously this is just playing into what I know about like estate law. I would assume the bulk of the wealth from the estate went into a trust for Billy until he was of adult age with a certain stipend going to the family to keep them. They lived in what looked like a very nice house. Like based on what we see of the house and a lot of the spaces, it looked mansion-y to me 
as a middle class, a firmly middle class individual, the house looked very upscale. So I don't think that they were hurting. Obviously, the son had money from his family. I think they just lived in that family house. So I'm sure money was set aside to keep, you know, take care of them. And he didn't be instantly become a billionaire, just one on paper. Because um, when his friend's like, give me five bucks, he's like, I don't have five bucks. So, which I thought was great. You own a baseball team, but you have no cash, which might be true of most baseball owners, actually. But yeah, that was my big thing. How dare they make me like uh, two billionaires? I don't think that that's fair. It's possible that he just assumed the team plus all of the debt. So he has actually no money, all debt. And until he sells that, is basically uh, on cash bankrupt. But he gets to own a mediocre baseball team. (laughs) In a terrible stadium. No offense, Twins fans. It was not Target Field. It was Metrodome. And I think most of you can agree. Not great. My, my biggest thing was the stretch that Billy's mom made from one week, not allowing him to go to a game on a school night to letting him, again, you know, this is like a small nitpick, but to, to be like, oh, yeah, it's okay to manage this team that you also own. If the commissioner says so. That was was my favorite where it was just like uh is your mom okay with it she's okay with it if you're okay with it and then is the commissioner really okay with that he's okay with it it's like very much playing mom against dad very funny Um, yeah solid humor like the only way i don't know maybe i would change it where maybe the school year's ending and he's given the summer to try and turn around the team and if it's working out and it's not too hectic okay we can figure out school come the fall and in september when the school year starts again it is funny that they never actually show him with a tutor. Like he yeah. just, he does his math homework on his own, but he's never actually like with a tutor. So we know that, okay. So in the timeline of the film, Jason Robards is alive. They are, the season is going on. It was May when he died. Okay. At end wow. for a good section, there is a manager of the team right. played by Dennis Farina it is like as peak Chicago Dennis Farina as you can possibly get. I genuinely thought he might be the villain for the first chunk of this movie. He He's a real jerk yeah. right off the bat. But then, yeah. He that was axed. a great scene, honestly. I thought maybe he would have been picked up as like another on another team. Because like, you know, they paid him out to be this veteran manager. And some team just takes a shot. And then maybe he'd be in the other dugout across the Twins later until I saw mm-hmm. they brought in the You know what I Mariners. thought that moment would be? It's after he lets Jerry go. Um, when he cuts Jerry from the team saying, you know, yeah. you're not there because he's the aging, you know, vet former star. And Jerry's like, I'm going to make my name somewhere else and I'm going to come back and show you. And I loved Billy's response, which is like, I hope you do. Because it was like very clear. Yeah, Chekhov's that, DFA. That he, oh yeah, <laughs> that he really wanted it. But I honestly thought like maybe he got picked up by the Mariners and he'd show up mm-hmm. in that last game and hit the like winning home run or something. But that they didn't play up. He didn't become like he a villainous thorn he did come back at the end in a positive way but the way that scene was structured i i thought that would go differently i thought that scene was great too it was really beautiful it It was like a really it was like the it was a great part of him actually kind of having to come kind of grow up is like this is this is for real you're gonna have to make a tough decision and this player is like his favorite player he has this like card and like his, his you know baseball cards and like this is the guy that he really this is his favorite player so he has to cut his favorite player and it's very painful but it's also the right business decision because he's old and he's not good he's shot and that's it and what's interesting is that yeah he doesn't come back he's 
shot. Like nobody, everyone's like, no, fine. Maybe he accepts the option to the AAA of the twins, but that is a great scene of that. But yeah, you don't get Dennis Farina. You don't get uh, that player back. It is kind of interesting that they set those up, but back to the kind of Brett's point uh, and Ashley's point, we actually, the manager's fired. The, the, or Jason Roberts dies in May. There is a manager for a while who's just sort of doing his own thing and disregarding and being really disrespectful. And then he gets fired. School might be out. Yeah. School's probably out, I think, at that point. At the press conference, say that his move to um, the team marks the end of his commitment to his elementary school, which I thought was very good. And when he is getting the trade lined up for, oh God, who was the player that that wanted? Ricky Henderson. They, there's a chance of Ricky Henderson, yeah. So he took that call in his principal's office. Although that was when he was just managing, when, oh, when he was just owning. So, you know, there's definitely a chance, you're right, that it could have been towards the end of the school year. Um, but he, you see him doing homework. Like, he, he's doing his math homework, obviously, later on. And They have a big problem with fractions that I think we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, by the way, just because we mentioned Ricky Henderson, that the commissioner's office declared Ricky Henderson a free agent. The deal that he wanted... That, that they were discussing was a three-year deal, 18 mil. Can you imagine? A dog. It was, oh God, it was something really stupid too. It was a Russian wolfhound or something yeah. insane like that. And, uh, Ferrari and a golf club membership. An albino Russian wolfhound, which is not, as far as I know, a thing. To be perfectly honest, all fairly reasonable from Ricky. Yeah, I didn't think it was Ricky a, can play. a character for Ricky Anderson. Yeah. I, I was, was like, I'm pretty crazy. sure. This is the man, Ricky Henderson is the man who his first game check he framed and didn't cash until like months later or years later when the team was like, there is a missing $1.8 million on our, or his first year's like check. And it was like his first signing bonus or something. And it was like, there, we're missing a substantial amount of money. <laughs> and Ricky was like, oh yeah, I just, it's framed right over here. So the interesting asks in a writer is totally fine uh ricky that year uh pheno- again phenomenal he was phenomenal for like 20 years uh in 1994 uh had a 19% walk rate he had was worth almost 3 wins above replacement stole 22 bags ricky ricky henderson phenomenal hall of famer one of the best players of all time one of the most entertaining players of all time worth every penny billy I would have been blowing up the Minnesota AM sports radio saying we got this child blowing it had a chance to sign Ricky Henderson and he blew it all. I think he was willing. I mean, it's hard to get a man a dog that doesn't exist. I don't know what to tell you. Some other good references. They, for the fire Dennis Farina, uh, because you've got to, if you're going to fire a guy with a stash, you got to try to replace him with a stash first. That's the rules. Uh, they do reference Bobby Valentine. Yeah, they do. Turned him down. Bobby Val- Bobby V turned yeah. him down. Bobby V said no. So tried. They tried. But uh... I genuinely loved that firing scene a lot because I think I think what it showed in that scene was kind of what Billy was made of in that he because his first ask he asks the manager at the time Dennis Farina he's just like hey man you think you could maybe just not scream at everybody so much 
because they're they're not you know working that great and it doesn't seem to be helping motivate them so maybe just stop and he doesn't and then he kind of goes in to talk to him and um Freena obviously very much dismisses anything he has to say and belittles him and says I'm not going to talk to a toddler and uh you guys can take your opinions and get out of my office and then Billy just very calmly says okay or we can try something different and then you see Freena like angrily loading up a box of stuff and I'm just like yeah man you're the owner he can't talk to you like that so I liked that because you know a kid may be the kind of person who's just going to be like oh okay sir you know i'm so sorry sir uh, i'll get out of your office because i'm 12 and uh he didn't he was like okay you're gonna not listen to me and you're gonna be a jerk about it i have the power to do this and like super calmly fires him i loved it which is great too because like the team is terrible so like what, yeah. what is this manager really providing like good good shaking it up shake it and up then right he steals there. the toilet paper of course. Which I thought was A plus. Some other great stuff. Okay, some other great scenes in this movie. He he takes over as the 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 coach or the manager of the team. I love that like the very first thing, you know, you, we mentioned that he has this this plot point where some of the the players are actively conspiring to uh kind of embarrass him and ruin like, you know, they're trying to make him look look bad. So he, you know, the catcher doesn't, uh, he, he ignores the hit and run sign and it blows it. Billy gets interviewed after the game by the press and is asked about that. Like, you know, do you think that steal attempt that you put on was like wrong? And then the player is looking over at him and Billy being a great manager doesn't throw his player out yeah. to dry and says, you know, basically he made a bad call on that steal attempt. Yeah great stuff in retrospect i should have called a hit and run yeah, yeah he killed it at almost every single press conference i mean that was you know because he's obviously not a great on the field manager if he's calling hit, hit and run uh but you know the, the press conference he's got he's got handled yeah if I was hodges i think that was the player's name if i was hodges i would have ignored the call too what do you do with put on a hit? <laughs> I will say this though, in the, in the, to his managerial credit, to his managerial credit in the scenario that the, the uh, bench coach offers yeah. him, he does, he does basically ignore the bench coach saying you should try to bunt to get the righty lefty matchup. Instead he goes, no, in this setup with the, the next inning, they got their better reliever. This is our time to strike don't bunt hit dingers i love that that is a manager effort he still has a lot way to go but he has the right instincts and it was like a very sound argument too he's like yeah now that you've just taken the bat out of the hands of our three four and five yeah hitter. like that was a that 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 dialogue that back and forth was was really good and that inspired a young jonah hill to break baseball <laughs> in well and then i think that kind of leads to the mcgreevy thing too where mcgreevy was also one of the players trying to like intentionally sabotage the season and it was very clear in his start that he wasn't trying and he was ignoring all the catcher's calls and you know sucking he was really terrible and so he gets in there and the bench coach is just like what are you doing man like you're terrible why are you ignoring all of the pregame notes why are you ignoring everything we know about this and he's like well i don't know i guess i'm stupid maybe you should cut me maybe you should you know trade me and the coach is like furious and he's like, oh yeah, we'll trade you if anybody wants your useless ass. And then I loved it. The scene, Billy comes in, he's like, no, no, we're going to play him. 
we're going to play him every game. And if he wants to be like this, I'd love to know what the market is for a starting pitcher who can't meet, you know, can't stay in the zone and uh, is so forgetful all of the time. I'm like, whoa, double twist. You really got in there. Because then instantly he's like, oh, yeah, I guess if I want to make it on the free agent market, uh, I better not be this doofus who can't play baseball. Because I don't even know what his logic was. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to lose a bunch of games. Oh, I'm going to be super terrible. <laughs> his his whole idea was like he wanted to he's like i don't really care i'm out of here i'm gonna take the biggest money deal but then he was like I, i'm gonna not i'm gonna try to screw over this new uh young kid it's like man you gotta pick a lane. your agent give a call to your agent i beg of you he's gonna yeah. say like what are you doing why it's like i gotta show this 12 year old up and he's like oh my god yeah i should have let you just go with stop boris i don't know why i fought so hard <laughs> yeah, i feel like maybe oh my a seven god. win season and like a 15 era is not going to get you the big money deal that you're looking i for allow boys. boris to get rafael palmero and i'm stuck with you oh no <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh so let's go down the list of some of these side characters like really fun all together and it's and it's not all antagonistic i like that immediately in this in this film and and the and the film kind of slowly warms to billy but not everybody like i think like mcgreevy up until like almost the very end is still like not like a fan but he's like more he's grudgingly like, okay. accepting right right yeah he's he's knowing like okay we all succeeding would actually help me too. So like, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the um, water balloon, like shenanigans, classic fun shenanigans. Yeah, the Bowers character is actually a lot of fun. Um, that's the Jonathan Silverman reliever. The relievers in this movie are very fun. Him and also Blackout. Bowers is kind of like this, you know, skinny reliever who comes in. He's kind of the know-it-all, right? He has a tremendous shirt at the beginning of this movie that I absolutely need to see if I can find. He's wearing it in his first scene in the clubhouse and it says, Babe Ruth is dead, throw strikes. Uh, I need that shirt. I, <laughs> it's the most tremendous thing. Um, but he's like kind of, he he's reading like the art of war, I think at the beginning, little Sung Su. He solves riddles, he's a mathematician, uh, but he also throws water balloons out of his hotel room window. So he's a man, you know, a, a renaissance man, as it were, a jack of all trades in the bullpen. And yeah, he's he's a delightful little side character. The question is to both you, Brett and Ashley, did you guess the answer to the riddle that he asked early that everybody's trying to, to, to so figure out? The catcher is the one asking about the riddle. Like there's, it's not Bowers. Bowers is the one who solves it. So, so the riddle is for for the listeners if you haven't been listening a cowboy arrived on friday stays three days and leaves on friday how did he do it yes so it took me a minute this is a fun running gag it's a fun running gag we're like in the downtime as the team is slowly bonding and starting to win and starting to put it together and make this chase throughout the 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 uh season you know, you have like the bench coach and talking to McGreevy and they're like trying to figure it out. Yeah. And then like other players are in the locker room being like, he arrives on Friday. Skip ahead, because that's <laughs> yeah, careful. So skip ahead like two minutes if you don't want the answer to this. Uh, it's actually a wording thing. So he doesn't arrive on a Friday. He arrives in town on Friday. And three days later, he leaves 
on Friday. And that was where I got tricked because in my head, I was like on a Friday, on a Friday, but there is no app. And that's, I think the catch here. You have to be very careful because spoiler, 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 Friday is the name of his horse. Now this confused me too later on because that, you know, that is the, the answer. That is the correct answer. But there is another thing where again, fantastic kid thing, which actually, I guess that's true. He does, he does have homework. So what, but why does he have homework in summer school? That is weird. Could be, they're in a, no, they're if it's at the end. Pennant race of September, he could be starting a new school year. Oh, okay. That's true. If you start okay. late so August, early September, it's a new school year. We don't know the Minnesota school district's uh, calendar. I'm always shocked by how early school goes back now. Like people are like, it's August 1st. My kids are going back to school. I'm like, what? Where's their summer? So this actually, okay. So that might make sense. He might've been back to school because there is a point near the end where they are literally coming up to their, their last games of the season. And Billy is is still, he's like a little distracted because he has this math problem. I'm a hundred percent. It is actually right before game 163. Yeah, that's <laughs> Actually before game 163. That's some real Joe Madden is. level outside the box managing is getting people yeah. thinking of something else to get off the nerves. <laughs> So he has a he has a math problem, and then it's it basically gets the entire team trying to solve it before the game, which is very cute. And everybody's coming up with different wrong answers, and it just it's just a very funny thing. And it's it, one person can paint a house in three hours, one person can paint a house in five hours. How fast can they paint a house together? I actually still don't even know the answer. I was going to ask you: do, do, Is Bowers correct? Because he after everybody's going up saying you know, different answers and different formulas and different ways to answer it incorrectly. Uh, Bowers walks up very confidently and does like a very funny thing where it's like you carry the one and then you then with the Newton's principle of this and blah, blah, blah. You know, he comes up with the answer of one hour and seven eighths. And then also says casually as he's walking away, by the way, horse's name Friday. So what I immediately do not think that was the right answer to the math problem but that was the right answer to the riddle which is very confusing to me is like is Bowers smart or is he just confident or was he smart about that one thing but wrong about the other I was so it's such an interesting writing thing because it it's still to this point is bothering me that like was that supposed to show that he was like all smart and he knew it because he knew the answer to the one but maybe he doesn't, I don't know. The, the math things he's saying aren't actually accurate to what that problem is. I don't know why. It's a very subtle thing, but it's really, it still bothers me. <laughs> I'm trying to find it. Hold on. The internet must know. I'm starting to think, and I'm calculating this in my house. I think you'd have to, one way to figure it out would be, okay, if the one guy paints the house in five hours, what percentage of the house would the other guy paint before they like caught up if they started on like two opposite sides of the house? But I don't know. This one broke my brain and I was very much willing to believe Bowers with his uh, one and seven eighths answer. I mean, I'm sure this has been solved on Reddit boards and other movie message boards. Ugh, I don't want to watch a YouTube video. Just tell me. I mean, the images <laughs> seem to suggest that one and seven eighths actually is correct. The bit is almost funnier if it's like he is wrong. Joe can paint a house in three hours. Sam can paint. Together they can paint eight fifteenths of the house each hour. 
They can paint a little over half the house in an hour. So it will take a little under two hours to paint the whole house. So one and seven eighths is right. Is right? Well, yeah. there you go. It's that, that is the funnier joke. Well, that is great. well done, Bowers. all of it. Yep. He's not just a pretty face that's reading Art of War. He's maybe actually taking in some of the books there. Absorbing which, and learning. Yeah. yeah. Which just, it feels very, very relievery to be quirky and have a contemplative and thoughtful you get a lot of downtime during the game yeah right you get a lot of downtime to just sit and watch and ponder love it you also get a fun max scherzer-esque scene with uh john blackout gatling yeah. phenomenal names so many good names good so baseball many names. good baseball names this hulking relief pitcher with a wad of chew and black uh, and like he has like the eye black and he's he's a madman with woolly hair and and he's very intimidating but but what's great billy has to go out and like basically call to you know replace call the him. yep and the guy is intimidating he pulls his best max scherzer and is like no, no. i'm not leaving i'll kill you but Billy, very, he is just a, a bold little kid and yeah. he still like stands his ground. And then later on, I love that like Gatling becomes like he kind of the previous manager who, who Dennis Freeman, who was terrible, was just berating his, his players, not getting the most out of them, was just berating Gatling. Instead, Billy was like, you have a great curve. You can actually speed so much better if you just like kind of really like he was doing some good little pitching tweaks there. And later on, Gallag is like, I, I get it. It's great. Like, and he's like on board. It's like, this is just adorable. It's adorable. He comes up to him at the airport and he's like, so I, I watched back some of the game footage and I just wanted to let you know that you were right. And I'm sorry. And uh, yeah. And so he's like, okay. And he like walks off this big hulking dude. I'd love to point out that I did make a note in that scene um, that I was shook that they were flying commercial. I, <laughs> like they were all saving that money. Gotta save that money. And I'm like, man, maybe Billy did lose all of his money if the twins are having to fly commercial. Um, this also might have predated the era when they all had fancy private jets to take them. I don't think it was it's private. I think they have like wrench. Anyway, yeah. they charter. But it, the point being is that baseball players do not fly commercial now. I, let's just rest assured, you will never see a baseball player on a getaway day in a commercial airline unless he's coming up from like the miners like it's not gonna happen <laughs> I, I think what's interesting though here is we have mentioned a lot of great scenes that we loved with the baseball side and i think all together the baseball is really good in this movie like we said scott patterson played baseball so he looks good uh i thought i thought uh, jonathan silverman as bowers looked good with his pitches a little quirky delivery but like that's again relievers uh i thought timothy busfield yeah uh, was Flexible. fantastic he was great. He looked exactly like you're like, you know, second baseman, you know, out there. Uh, he looks the part of like a, like a legit, you know, baseball player. Everybody else I thought did a really good job of just, there's like lots and lots of baseball scenes yeah. and it all looks super legit, looks really great. But what's interesting to me is that this that is like, I think all of the strength. And I think any moment, like there's a lot of momentum of the movie loses every time we leave the baseball field. Is anybody else feel that way? Or yeah. am I just going to be a little picky about this? So 
I liked some of the parts with him and his little friends. Like I thought his his buddies delivered a lot a lot of good early on. Early on, a lot of oh, really good torturing that poor kid. Yeah. So before Billy kind of became the manager, they delivered some of the best lines in this movie. Like some of the stuff I mentioned off the top, those were all Chuck lines, as far as I can remember. Um, Chuck, who I've decided, in spite of his IMDb telling me otherwise, is secretly child actor Bam Margera from Jackass. Um, it's like you, the Marilyn Manson in the Wonder Years theory. Yeah, you <laughs> genuinely cannot convince me that that is not Bam Margera as a child acting in this movie. I don't care. I believe he has a real name. I think it's like Billy Williams or something. He is not a real person. He is Bam Margera. And I want anybody to go back and watch this movie and tell me differently. Uh, and if you tell me differently, I won't listen. And that's fine. That's a hill I'll die on, just like Daniel Stern secretly directed The Sandlot. Sandlot 2. The Sandlot 2. No, we said he directed the Sandlot, and the other guy actually directed the Sandlot too. And that's oh, the reason that's right. Sandlot that's is actually right. good. I know my conspiracies, Darby. Don't try to take this away. I think from I even me. invented this conspiracy. Now yeah. I've lost control. Oh no! This is like every conspiracy. It just loose. It gets out. The horse is out of the barn. Don't put Sandlot two on Daniel Stern. That's not cool. I have a theory that uh, baseball movies. It's a lot easier to cast a major league team from the nineties with like you know, normal actors than it is like today where players look more like athletic freaks. It's like, every, and I know they got some guys that formerly played, but it's like very easy to find an actor that looks like an eighties or nineties baseball player, like in that era. So I just think maybe that's why baseball movies have lost their luster. You just can't recreate what baseball players look like today. You can find a Chuck Knobloch in Hollywood. Yeah. You can't find a Mike Trout or a Shohei Otani or a, uh, why am I just picking angels? This is, this is the worst. Thing. All, all you can think about is the angels right now. They have like human Greek. You can't find gods. an Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton. Like Giancarlo Stanton, he looked like he was <laughs> right. literally carved from stone. You only have so many Dwayne the Rock Johnsons to go around. Exactly. Yeah. You can't get nine of them to fill up a team on your baseball movie. But yeah, I think to Darby's point, I think the beginning of the movie is strong because you have this cute little camaraderie between these kids. They're obviously like lifelong best friends. Uh, I love that they're sitting at the ice cream place at the beginning and they're talking about how rich uh, Billy's grandpa is. Like, he's just like, is your, is your grandpa richer than this famous person? Is your grandpa richer than the guy on Gilligan's Island? That was the best conversation because I don't really think that that guy was all that rich because if you were that rich, why would you be taking a cruise on the SS Minnow? And I'm it's just such like, a good point. Oh it's my such God. a good point. I never even thought of that. So Chuck, you're good. a genius. So that, so at the beginning, tremendous. But then I think when it becomes the same kind of subplot as we saw in Rookie of the Year with, you know, Billy's got all of these requirements outside of hanging out with his little buddies and, you know, he stands them up, I think, to go have lunch with what Reggie Jackson. Yeah, um, I might do that too. Sorry. And they're mad at him. And that actually I thought was interesting because there's a point at the beginning of the movie where grandpa is trying to convince mom to let Billy go to a date, like a weeknight game. And it's, he wants Billy to come because Roger Clemens is pitching and like, you can't live your life without going to see big moments when you have the opportunity. That was and, another one, favorite and, line of mine in the movie. Like that one really hit me. It was like a baseball fan. Like beach was beautiful. 
And like, I, I think that was like, it's the first 10 minutes of the movie. And I'm like, what am I watching? This is incredible. Like this beautiful, like wisdom filled speech about when you're given the opportunity, seize it, have no regrets. I'm like, yeah, I want to go see a Thursday night game with Roger Clemens. Yeah. You know, like, I think we've probably all moved our like personal live schedules around for baseball, whether or Absolutely. not it paid off or not. Like, I think I skipped Ooh. a class, a couple of classes in grad school to see Wander Franco's debut last I year. I dropped two thousand dollars uh on a world series ticket uh for one of the most miserable travel experiences of my entire life to watch the detroit tigers lose the world series in game four uh, and i have no regrets whatsoever about that horrible horrible trip it's that fomo um, it's the fomo with like as a baseball fan you can't I mean, miss it what if something does happen and and the strength of that too that speech is like jason robards is in this movie for about like 15 minutes but my god he is coming in and he just get, comes in with a triple a double a home run and he's and he's out yeah he dies 10 minutes into the movie and then you're crushed because i would have watched an entire movie of grandpa being around but you feel his presence like from that performance throughout the rest absolutely of the movie. because you see what kind of impact he would have had on the team i did love the touch where they were all wearing patches with his initials which is mm -hmm. absolutely something that would be legit to a team that had just lost their owner but I, I think the thing that kills me is that that is kind of a mirrored moment where the bench coach is like, hey, let's go have lunch with Reggie Jackson. And like, I'm sorry, little kid friends. That is something you don't say no to. And it seems like something that they would have encouraged, like based on they were like, oh, you've got to go see the rocket. You think, yeah. Lunch with Reggie Jackson. And that sounds I, incredible. I get that, like, maybe, yeah, it's pre-cell phone era, but, like, maybe he could have called his mom and been like, hey, can you tell the guys something came up? Or, or like, maybe if what? he was supposed to pick them up to go with him and he forgot and they got left at home, they didn't get to meet Reggie Jackson. Yeah. So, you know, like, I, but I thought that, that that scene in of itself was mirroring what his grandpa had said, and it kind of almost makes you have to forgive him because it's true. Like, how do you turn down those moments? Like, sorry, I didn't go to the water park with my little buddies. The water park will still be there tomorrow. Reggie Jackson will not. Yeah, I get that the point <laughs> of it is that he's, you know, he's, you know, kind of putting his friends by the wayside and he's getting too involved in baseball. Um, but man, I found it really hard to disagree with that life decision on his part there. Because if Reggie, somebody told me Reggie Jackson really wanted to meet me, I'd be like, peace out, whatever plans I had today. Let's go. Totally. And well, I, I think overall, my biggest, my the biggest, I think, miss and why there is that lack of energy is just that this film needed a fixing the boat and then the boat is together and then they're out with the girls and the guys and they're on the boat and it's just fun childhood memories. And there's really not that. There's just not that in this movie. And it's, it, it's missing. It's missing. And sure. I made a point that there was a very obvious way they could have done that in this movie. Because their little sidetrack thing, the thing that they like to do as friends is they go fishing. Is it and fishing? they, it's fishing. They fish off a bridge. Is it fishing? Yeah. Uh, right. Because they ask themselves philosophically, is it fishing if you're not catching any fish? They never catch a fish. At the end, he kind of mends his relationship with them by kind of being like, hey, guys, I see that you're at our fishing hole. And, blah, blah, blah. and the great thing there would have been like, oh, one of the friends catches a fish and they help him haul it out of the water. And they have a great moment where they're like, oh, we finally caught a fish. We really are fishing. Um, and like that philosophical question gets answered and their friendship is mended over fish. 
because um, I think that that was a really good opportunity based on the way they'd set that up in the movie. Um, you're right. I think that that could have helped it a little bit for that part of it. Um, and they just don't do it. They talk all about them not catching fish and they never catch fish. Feels feels like a real missed opportunity. So I bet it was filmed. I think that one was filmed and left in the can. <laughs> like like they already had they already had the location. Like, oh, let's just have them catch one and then we'll see if we have time for it. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so, because that that does feel like a pretty glaring, like you have two scenes previous at this bridge. Then you have a third scene at this bridge where they mend fences, but you don't get the thing. Now, what you do get in the film, what I do think does work really well is your similar, like him remembering childhood, you know, him remembering the joys of childhood is him going, wandering the, the inner city of Minnesota, I guess. Chicago, it was uh, Chicago. It was in Chicago, they were in Chicago. Yeah. And, and uh, finding a stickball game with a bunch of uh, uh, ruffians, including a very young Pete Campbell. Uh, <laughs> one of the little kids is uh, Vincent... Um, Cartha, uh, uh, Cartha... Yeah, yeah, that one. P- Peter Campbell from Mad Men. And, uh, and I think Buffy, he was also in Buffy. But anyway... He's one of the little kids and he looks identical. He's just still there. I didn't there, but, even uh, notice that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that scene again. It's a, it's a fun, you know what? Any, any, it can work with every baseball movie. You can do it. You can film this scene every single time. And it, it, it was in season two of Ted Lasso. If you get like somebody going and playing the game, but just for fun with just normal people, it works. 100% of the time. Never fails. This is a... Like, I will love it every single time it's in any movie or TV show. It's fantastic. I love it. It's always great. And I love it because the kids, too, were like, hey, aren't you? And he's like, oh, I get that all the time. Haha. Do you think I'd be playing stickball if I was a billionaire owner of a baseball team? <laughs> no. And the kid has his baseball card. That was great. The kid had his baseball card. and He's like, not even close. <laughs> like, oh, my <laughs> God, you idiots. Amazing. Well, um, I think let's take a quick break. And then we can chat a little bit about our other anything last thoughts on favorites and who who would we pick for the but, race? And I, I think we'll all probably be around the uh, the final kind of conclusion of this film, which is a pretty big game and yeah. a rare villain in film history, yep. a team that never gets to be the villain ever, <laughs> except for in the little big league. Uh, yeah, so we'll be right and back. When they play the race. So I, I think it kind of goes without saying that the three of us all really liked this whether or not we had it as part of our childhoods or not. But I thought we'd go over quickly any of the like last and final things um, that we thought were delightful. And I've got two things I want to call out as little subplots that were not integral by any means, but both things that made me giggle. Um, The first was absolutely the night nurses from Jersey um, subsection where they're on the road and Billy learns that in-room porn is a thing at hotels and orders the same movie 11 times <laughs> over the course of three nights. Um, bless his heart. Calls up his buddy on the phone to just like listen. 
He's like, look, send it to your room. You can just call whenever. And then I got to go. She's got a new patient. Um, that whole thing, because it was very much like Cinemax level porn. Like it, as far as I could tell, obviously it was a kid's movie. They couldn't, you know, but it very it, much. It, it was a harmless way to like make a joke like that. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was... definitely. That was a great joke in there for parents that actually made this feel more like an adult movie with like a childhood nostalgia twist than actually a kid's movie. Um, although I know, I think this is very much remembered as a kid's movie by and large because it has a child hero. Um, my other favorite thing, and I think this was such an under the radar thing that was a running joke throughout the entire movie, was the broadcast crew in the booth had a guy whose sole job was to come up with like fun stats for the on-air like radio guy to give his, you know, here, oh yeah, if you didn't know the home splits were this, but the stats that he was pulling out were absolutely the fun. He's like at home in September against left-handed pitchers on even years, really bodes well for him in this at bat. And you can see he's got like his little baseball reference book out in front of him. He has zero lines the entire movie and is my favorite character by a mile. He's so proud of each. I, I thought that was a <laughs> fantastic running gag. Tapping the sheet. And the, and the, uh, and the play-by-play announcers, you know, doing it and is proudly delivering it. And he's just like, Never yeah. skips a beat. I love if you thought they nailed the casting of the old timey like 70s 80s 90s baseball broadcaster it's because that was actually the voice of the minnesota twins john gordon playing amazing the broadcaster and yeah that, that was that was really cool to see him because i think he was obviously doing a broadcast caricature in the yeah. character but you could tell that like he was good at this like he had the voice for it he didn't go quite full bob euchre in right. creating a bit of a character with that but uh that is the the crown jewel, but yeah, it's always yeah. fun to get the actual announcers or play by play people or radio broadcasters because and, and having a broadcaster in a baseball movie, like you can very much mess it up and not yeah. do well, but it can always also be like one of the most memorable parts of your movie. I don't think he was that memorable in this movie. Like he didn't play as big of a role as like a euchre in Major League, but you know it. They did do it well, and that's like I don't know. I always notice that as the broadcasting nerd. Like I always notice like. Oh, this guy's really funny or you know when they're able to get vin scully that's pretty cool too and i am i'm dead convinced also in the same way that you won't convince me the other kid wasn't bam margera that jack antonoff was the one playing the um the scouting stats guy um and that's a deep cut because that's not even an acting thing jack antonoff is a music producer um best known for his work with taylor swift uh and yeah so you can google him and then google the guy from the movie but it's the same man. You cannot convince me. Uh, it's not Jack Antonoff uh, time traveling to go back and perform in this movie, or he's a vampire and hasn't aged a day. I can't decide which. So those are good ones. I was definitely, I was hoping you were going to, somebody was going to mention uh, the broadcasting. So I think that's great. You know, you have your fun and like specific stats and baseball is kind of notorious for that. The, the level of detail, but like going to the absurd is always great. And it just getting better and better. I, I thought filming wise, I thought this film did a great job showcasing the baseball. Uh, you have a lot of people like in the cast too. Some of the other people, Leon Alexander, the first baseman was actually Leon Bull Durham in real life. Cubs player who was a heck of a hitter for like, had like a 10 year career. Kevin Elster was a, a 
a player for the Mets, a shortstop with the Mets. So like you have real baseball players. So why not just shoot real baseball? Like it's, it's a fantastic. very shoot the rodeo situation. Yeah. Which is perfect. And then you get a lot of shots of like real baseball players that are active at the time and just let them do it. You know, long shots, wide shots, let them, let them kind of go. Um, but actually my favorite shot in this whole film, and it's really good. And it's, it's just a really beautiful way of capturing again, that big magic of baseball is after they lose they lose, you know, the last game against, we're going to talk about, let's, we'll have to talk about that next is the last game, but they, they ultimately come up just short of, of getting to the playoffs, but then the whole crowd is still there. They're still chanting and they're still excited. And so Billy goes out of the tunnel and the camera follows Billy. You your steady cam shot following them out of the tunnel into the Metrodome and you have the giant white marshmallow roof dome you have all of the the crowd that's there because they probably shot this you know in between innings of a game and it's fantastic it's just this long tracking shot following uh the kid out there and then ends on on that great fantastic beautiful you know again like the the fans were just they were along for the ride and it was okay that they lost. It was still a, a fantastic journey. Yeah, I thought that was really lovely. Actually, when you note that, there is something kind of interesting that this movie didn't have to rely on that we've talked about as being really effective in movies like Fever Pitch and Rookie of the Year and that it didn't really capture the B-roll side of game day and the stadium experience. And I think part of that is because it's a little less about being a fan than it is about you know being part of and owning the team um but i think what they do instead like you talked about darby is they capture the baseball minutiae a lot better like the little moments in between the lead-offs of games one other thing this movie does that rookie of the year also did cheekily is they both have a hidden ball trick scene um which check check your boxes um this one was fun this one i thought was cute because they very intentionally practiced it ahead of time Um, so it was very clearly planned and they're doing it in the 10th inning of a game 163 and the bench coach is like are you crazy like this is kind of an important game and Billy's like no let's have fun let's do it because it's like fully orchestrated the security guards in on it the security guard the whole the whole bullpen yeah it's incredible and it's it's like a very advanced hidden ball trick because they make it seem like the ball got thrown away and the edge and first baseman's running like all the way over into the dirt of the you know um dugout and they're looking for this ball but oh lo and behold the pitcher never let go of the ball um i thought that was really cute i thought that was and it works just like in rookie of the year legally it's still in the rules of the game uh bowers is not on the mound he's not on the rubber yeah he steps off and a base runner can choose to just leave the bag if he wants to it's bad choice that's why you usually see him standing on the base until you see that pitcher step on the rubber when it becomes illegal to to do a hidden ball trick but yeah in that situation and you have because so Ken, in this situation, you have Ken Griffey Jr., who's like the big, he's not a villain. He's just, again, it's like, it's the sports conflict, right? Yeah. He's the star player of the team that's against you is by far the most 
the, the player is going to be, he is the like antagonist because that is the, the mountain to climb is they're going to try to defeat you. And they are going to be the toughest to defeat on the other side. So Ken Griffey Jr. has a very strong ear, like aura in this film of like the jaws shark, basically. It's like, yeah. he is just, he is just there. He is this dominant force. And it's so strange to see Ken Griffey Jr. be like, kind of like a smug, like kind of, arrogant like I'm the best because he's was like the most known as like the you know pretty much like the most lightest and, and happiest guy but he also could turn up the the uh, uh daggers especially if it was against the Yankees who he despised um but in this situation in that in that hidden ball trick he's he takes the walk he goes on to first and there is a moment where he is like he doesn't just break immediately he's smart he clearly is like what yeah he's like looking and there's enough shenanigans especially with you know all the whole bullpen you know looking for the ball and pointing it out that he then leaves so it's like it's a good way of protecting ken griffey jr to not be the the player that's he didn't get fooled all the way yeah but he still got he still got him what i liked about that especially is that it it was established earlier in the movie that Billy likes to play with the rules a little bit because there's a scene very early when he's like, he's decided he's going to coach for a third base as manager. And he has this thing where he's, and I didn't even know this was something that could legally done. And I don't know if it still can be anymore. Um, the batter walks, but then he just keeps going and runs to second and the runner on third while everybody else is like what's happening is like okay well cool I'm gonna steal home now and everyone is just like what and it's he's safe and it's amazing and I'm like I would lose my senses if that happened in a baseball game like in a good way like if you were watching a Rays game because that feels very Razy to me if you were watching a Rays game and like you had Randy on third and you've got like drawing of a walk yeah, Phillips gets the walk and then he just kind of like goes to first and then zips around to second and everyone's like, what is going on? Everyone, it would be the highlight of the year. Like, are you kidding me? Legal. That would be on, eh, yeah. Like, I just, because you don't see it. And I think that's what they established, right? That Billy knows the minutia of what is and isn't allowed. Because somebody's like, that feels very little league to me. And he's like, nobody will be expecting it. And I'm like, oh god somebody do that i want to see that happen very recently the rays actually tried to do a ball got away from the catcher the runner at third uh came home then the runner at second which was randy rosarina in this situation just kept running and after the the pitcher got the ball when was kind of just like walking because he didn't get the tag at home so he's then just kind of walking away as you do and probably thinking like, oh, I blew it. I dropped, you know, through the wild pitch. The other runner is just running from second all the way to try to get. And in this situation, the the pitcher, fig, you know, keyed in fast enough to go tag him out, but like barely by a hair. So yeah, you just keep running. If the other, you, we've seen that happen in baseball history too, where somebody's like arguing at first and people just keep running. And mm-hmm. it's like, just keep going until, until the ball's dead. Yeah, I was at that Randy Rosarena game, and someone said to me like, "Oh, I, you know, you just can't get out on the bases." I was like, "Like, where do you like to get out? Like, it's yeah. out at the plate. Like, he's he was a lot closer to scoring than he would be at the plate. It serves him well a lot of the time. So, he I mean, stole home in a playoff he game. Stole that I was home in a playoff so game. Exactly. He can do whatever like, he wants on the bases, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Absolutely. 
so I, I like the Billy aggressive uh, play aggressive uh, and managing and, yeah. and trying. Um, so yeah, so this last game, the the Twins have to win three games in a row. The Mariners, who are also competing for this this postseason spot, uh, they also have to lose out, and it it leads it to the point where we are now getting to a game one sixty three win, and you're in, and it's at home. It's at the, that's it's in Minnesota, and uh, it's a close tough game fought, tough fought game and right to the right to the bitter end you have this you know again the jaw shark king griffey jr is like when is he going to strike and they've kind of kept him in play and then up to the very last bit you get you get uh luke collins timothy busfield is up he had a little bit of struggle there was a little bit of conflict where he's trying to date billy's mom and they're well at this point they're now well, he proposed to her that was the thing so right before this quick. happens he proposes to her and he said and then billy's like okay you get a home run and you can marry my mom um but i thought it was really cute that it, 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 immediately after like before he even gets to the plate he's like no nah, i'm just kidding you can marry my mom no matter what um but like, like so it was nothing on the line but i thought it was cute that he's you know that's not his style to like manipulate although he does do that with the the flashback the guy coming up after he messes up the play on the field and he's like oh you know that happened in like the 1926 world series and a ball hit a pebble and he thought he'd ruin the game but then he won it with a walk-off double and the guy's like oh yeah okay great and he goes to bat and like his bench coach comes up and he's just like yeah the the ball hitting the pebble was the end of that game they lost and he's like i know that but he doesn't know that and i'm like oh yeah so i like it he knows to manipulate like when and how to manipulate people which is incredible for a 12 year old yeah he's um, very good like he's a very good manager like old soul like, like we debate whether or not like how much of an, an effect a manager actually has on how good a baseball team is uh, but if it does have a, a tangible effect like it's probably because of similar things that billy did like he's very inquisitive he's very analytical he handles the media well you know the the only problem he had communicating with his players was the fact that uh, he was young enough to be their like son for some of them. Um, other than that, like he handled everything incredibly well. I fully believe that uh, Billy was the AL manager of the year that year, and I refuse to believe otherwise. If anybody voted against them, those writers are cold and dead hearts. They probably Lou voted writers. for Lou Pinella because they they like to get a drink with Lou or something oh, like absolutely. that. But um, but yeah, so you have the Mariners, you have a ton, just a bunch of just it's just Lou Pinella and. Ken Griffey Jr. and like Joey Cora and and Randy Johnson. It's Randy like, it's like, Johnson, yeah. This is the whole team. It's just like, holy crap, this is kind of fun. Uh, but yet, so you have Timothy Busfield. He's up there. Lou Collins. He's just, you know, he's feeling good now because he knows he's he got the approval. Of, got the girl. Of, and he's up there with a chance to walk it off and win it. And he gets a hold of a pitch. He... He gets a charge into one. It's it going. It's going far. And it kind of mirrors the Kirby Puckett catch in legendary twins lore that gets them one of their World Series wins. But uh, in this case, Ken Griffey Jr. just airing out Climbs to steal one ball. back yeah. and make Snatches the last out. it from the grasp of waiting fans. Um, wins the game. Yeah. we see kind of i think we see a lot of that like if you think about it, like mr 3000 
similar kind of ended similarly um where like the big moment is kind of lost um but you don't feel i think i, I don't i think it would have been fun to see them win and go on but i think there was also something kind of fitting about only getting so far and it wasn't the world series it was a game 163 which is such a weird little niche baseball thing to begin with like they're playing against each other in a tiebreaker to get to the wild card like it's you know it's so far from being the world series that it might as well be regular season but it's still like a perfect moment that kind of marks the end of their season so beautifully um i don't know i think it was very effective so it's overall i think we all just just really enjoyed this movie it's a solid film yeah i i laughed a lot and i did get a little bit misty in the end when he that big walk out to the field when like everybody's chanting his name and you know, he's made the decision that he's going to, you know, go back and go to middle school. <laughs> and, and that's the, yeah, and that's the tag at the end is that he is deciding to step away from coaching, uh, step away from managing and uh, turn, turn the ball, turn the, the managerial job over uh, to. To the bench coach. And in our comeback moment of the series, the third base coach is going to be Jerry, the uh, player that he decided to let go, who said, I'll be back and you'll see. And he is back, but he's not angry anymore. Yeah, I thought that was a nice wrap up. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great uh, full, full circle. It's, it's fantastic. And now he gets to just be the owner of the team, still, you know, cheer him on and support them. And also get to hang out with his friends his friends now get to have like an owner's box ticket so they should be totally happy you can blow them off as much as you if i was a kid and one of my friends owned a baseball team they could just absolutely not show up to many events if i had standing room owner's box tickets that's fine don't even show up to my birthday party it doesn't matter that's all or just let me cool. have my birthday party there that's cool that also works um all right this movie is probably the toughest competition yeah. the most options to select yeah which player that are to not have. even like us cheating by digging through seeing like a wade boggs jersey which was my last <laughs> um so i had two really good picks and i had a really i was looking at stats for 1994 to try and decide um i did not pick a fictional character spoiler alert um, and I did not pick the person who Darby picked. So I don't know, Darby's wife picked his. So we'll find out who it is. But I know you didn't pick Ken Griffey Jr. And 1994 Ken Griffey Jr. was just leading into peak Ken Griffey Jr. Um, I, without question, I'm going to take Ken Griffey Jr. Randy Johnson was very close and I like checked his stats. Obviously 94 was a weird year, but I'm like, no, I think we're we're gonna be comfortable here. I feel like, Griffey could be pretty incredible at the drop. So uh, I feel good about my choice. I mean, who who doesn't love prime Ken Griffey Jr.? I mean, this is one of the best baseball players of all time. Uh, I I am, this is this is a choice that uh, that that is pretty much right up there, obviously with Ken Griffey Jr. But my wife Lucy and our friend Aaron, who watched these movies with us, they both said. That basically, I would be cast out if I didn't select for my pick, Randy, the big unit Johnson, which I don't need to twist my arm too much. Randy Johnson is in the height of his power, the height of his first power, right? He is, 
he is now in his third height of powers as a uh, sports photographer phenomenal you know really good photographer no that he has his own his logo if anybody doesn't know randy johnson is a is a photographer he loves photography and his sports logo uh go go google it it's a uh it's a bird that's dead <laughs> upside down oh, oh no it's, it's perfect randy johnson i do think is one of the most interesting people in like baseball history it, it's yeah i mean it's uh Easily. Let me add the seven foot tall lefty <laughs> flamethrower. Uh, he was worth seven wins above replacement in 1993, five wins above replacement in 94, and is about to pull off an almost 10 win above replacement season in 1995. And then still go on for another uh, almost 12 years beyond that of just high quality pitching, including uh, a couple of World, Se- World Series MVP performance. Uh, yeah, incredible. I mean, Randy Johnson. When you get a chance to pick one of the two, uh, like, peak Mariners of the 90s. He was well. my second choice. But then as soon as you said you weren't taking Ken Griffey Jr., I'm just like, well, I mean, okay. I didn't want to cross paths, but. And can you imagine a Randy Johnson with like 2022 pitching training? Like he was already putting up insane, like numbers that would still be insane strikeout numbers today. I mean, he's arguably the best strikeout pitcher in the history of the game. Uh, but like, I don't know, working with Kyle Snyder, once Tyler Glass now is healthy, going back to back in the rotation. Uh... And I'm not trying to put Glass now in the same stratosphere as Randy Johnson, but at the same time, in, like, the spurts of Tyler Glass now, when he's been healthy. But is your one, two guys in the rotation? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. I I think if I got to pick between Griffey and Johnson, I would take Johnson. Uh, I will take somebody else, I think, uh, just to kind of mix it up. I really liked Bowers as a reliever. Again, another inquisitive mind, someone that uh, the Rays would probably just get in a trade for some A-ball player and they acquire him from the twins and everybody knows this guy's going to get a save in the postseason or something like this guy's going to immediately uh, become one of the best relievers in baseball. He's like I said, very inquisitive. I think very open to learn. Uh, he's probably got a nasty slider. I don't know if we really saw him pitch that much or like what his results were. Uh, I think yeah. he mentioned a slider when he was being interviewed in one of the press conferences at the end. He's icing down his arm and then Billy comes in. He's like, oh, yeah, that was a slider and blah, blah, blah. And then the press guy is just like, ah, forget you. Ah, da, da. And he kept talking. He keeps talking. Yeah. That was really funny. Yeah, I think I'd love to have him in the clubhouse and on the mound. So I'll go with Bowers. I don't even know what his first name is. Bowers. Yeah, I think Bowers. they just called him Bowers. But also another prime example of a reporter asking a dumb question about what kind of pitch somebody was throwing, um, which is apparently all movie writers seem to think that sports reporters ask about in post-game interviews. Because, <laughs> you know, we're not just fed those details. Um, anyway. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's much more to unpack here. I think we surprisingly very much loved this. Maybe not a surprise to anybody who's seen it before, but I know I've been bitten by watching childhood favorites and going back and watching them as an adult and going, good God, I had the worst taste in life. What is this piece of crap? Um, But anyway, I was delighted by it. Like this movie is two hours long, which for a kid's movie is absurd. 
Um, and I think right up there, we watched The Rookie previously, and that was a little over two hours, I want to say. Uh, felt like three. And this was two hours and felt like a smooth 90 minutes. Like, I don't know that there was much I would have cut. And I felt very good the whole way through. Um, yeah, I think this was a, a rollicking good time. Um, and it immediately goes almost to the top, I think, of the movies that we have watched. Um, it might be the top for me, but I know Darby prefers Rookie of the Year. And I know Fever Pitch is right up there for all of us. But I liked this a heck of a lot. Yeah, it's it's honestly just a refreshingly competent and solid film with some really fun characters, some laughs. Uh, I I think there there could be some definitely rooms for improvement here, but overall, uh, it's it's just just it's just a delight. It's just a solid solid film. Bring it out if you haven't shown. If you have, if you have a family and you're looking for kind of a new you know kind of baseball film or a family film to watch and you don't haven't watched this one you know give it a shot I think it actually holds up pretty well in modern lens yeah I think 100% and I think if you really want to what a great Sunday double feature to rookie of the year and little big league like they both hold up really well they're similar but also different enough that I think you could mm -hmm. very easily watch them back to back and appreciate those similarities but find that the heart the heart of them is very different um and very charming movies so i would strongly recommend getting in touch with your inner child by doing a double feature of 1994 and 1993 um non-oscar nominated films that uh shaped our childhood yeah there weren't any other like huge movies that came out in those years <laughs> nothing else came out that time <laughs> What one? What, what I'm curious. What one? I think it was picture? Goodwill Hunting or Goodwill Hunting Lost. I think it was later in the '90s, actually. Ninety three. Jurassic like Forrest, Park. Forrest Gump Jurassic was ninety three or ninety four. Forrest Gump. Schindler's List was oh, yeah. the no. Wait, Un Unforgiven was nineteen ninety four. Um, and Schindler's List. Schindler's List was ninety four. Ninety three was Unforgiven. I want to say Lion King around that time too. And Forrest Gump won in 95. Okay. So plenty of kind of things that stand out to this day. But uh, yeah, I mean, these are kids baseball. But I think these kind of serve as a reminder when you watch them, um, what we're missing out now, like not to like beat the dead horse of an article I wrote at Fangraphs about how much we need kids baseball movies like this again. Um, but we really do. <laughs> like... There's just something missing in the landscape of baseball movies where something like this that I think shows that love and that passion of baseball um, in such like a caring way, but also in a funny and heartwarming and endearing way is something that we haven't seen. Like I thought Moneyball did it well for adults. Um, it was definitely like it showed that passion from like a different perspective, right? And a more realistic angle. But I think we haven't seen a baseball movie since then have we like nothing major and yeah i think that's really missing i think that movie proved how well you could do it because i mean it's based on a michael lewis like non-fiction novel like not a non-fiction book about stats and like gaming the system financially like if you can turn that into a movie that can make me cry, <laughs> I think you can, you know, make a good baseball movie finally and not make trouble with the curve. I, I think in general, not making trouble with the curve is the goal for every base, every, every film, just, but especially every baseball film. Start off 
now don't make trouble with the curve and at the end if you haven't made trouble with the curve you've succeeded success story like so far one one film has really failed at that yeah and a couple have come close like i mean for every trouble with the curve you might have a summer catch um and then you periodically you stumble into a fever pitch We'll eventually make a scale for this. Full full disclosure, I don't think we have any idea what we're filming next, so we might finally turn back to the democratic system of the internet to make some suggestions for us, which is also very terrifying. Um, and you guys uh, are very mean to us, but we've also watched a lot of the movies that you very meanly suggested, so uh, thanks a bunch for making me watch for love of the game um and uh yeah we'll figure out what's next and maybe you guys will participate in that you can always message us too i'm at 90 feet from home on twitter uh i think you're darby what darby underscore robinson correct uh and brett your b wait b rutherford 99 am i making that up very close bg rutherford 99 gotta get ah. the middle, middle initial in there got the gbg rutherford 99 so if you want to pester us you can also hit up the at d rays bay twitter account and send suggestions that way where our brett phillips will filter them down to us and uh be the superstar that he is um so yeah if you have any suggestions we will gladly hear them but that doesn't mean we will actually listen um <laughs> we'll get to them eventually there's only so many of these um, there's more than you would think but there's only so many um so as long as you guys keep listening we will keep watching terrible movies and accidentally watching good ones from time to time so with that i think we're done for this week uh, i have been ashley with darby and brett and this has been who's on worst and until next time peace out bye